So psychologists say that there are eight childhood traumas. Guess how many I have? Seven. Can you imagine my wonderful wife marrying a man who's walking into the marriage with seven of the eight major childhood traumas? Oh, man. There are some conversations that we feel we're not allowed to have. Most Christians can't be seen to have moments when they lose control or even struggle. In these moments, you need someone to go into the deep end with you. Nuance is something you can only find if you're willing to go deeper. And those who are willing are often misunderstood by those who aren't. This is The Deep End with LaCrae. come from a broken family I functioned in dysfunction um, and it's it's not to say that there was anything wrong with my mother or anything along those lines but she is coming from a broken family and her mother it, it there's these cycles of brokenness and I'm so grateful that my wife was able to endure this man being myself, who was not whole, was not healthy uh, for years, and stand by my side in hope, in faith, believing that God would do a work in my heart, uh, believing that what God started in me, uh, he would finish. And the only way that my marriage survived is because she believed that God was who he said he was. And she believed that, you know, transformation was possible. Um, now, I will say this. <clears throat> I have, you know, created so much trauma uh, in my own life <laughs> from the dysfunction that I endured um, and bringing into my marriage the trauma of being abandoned by a father, being molested uh, by a babysitter, um, you know, growing up, you know, running from police, uh, being, you know, physically abused and, and all these particular things, um, you know, bringing all of that into my marriage and then finding myself taking opiates to cope, getting drunk on a consistent basis, and, and not following Jesus. Um, I had to own that. And, and, and I don't think she would have stayed in this traumatic situation um, without me owning it. You know, I, I'm, that's not to say she would have just said, I'm out of here, but I don't think... I think it would have been very easy for her to entertain, like, I've got to get out of this situation, this man who's just, you know, something has to shake, you know, I, I, and I would, I would understand if that was the pressure that's on her. My wife, however, is, she is, 
She is a soldier. I mean, she is the epitome of just grace and wisdom and love. I mean, she is my rock. And so her endurance of that showed me a picture of Jesus like nothing else I've ever seen in my life. Because you got to remember, I'm growing up in a family circumstance where the person who's supposed to raise me has abandoned me completely. My dad didn't even, didn't even think about staying with me. You know, I went to visit him for the first time and see him um, in, what, 2020, maybe 2019, and have a conversation with him about why he left. And, I, and my sister and I were there, and we asked him, hey, do you feel bad for just abandoning us? And he said, I'd never say sorry. Sorry is the sorriest word in the dictionary. He said, God told me I was going to have kids. He didn't say I got to keep them. Straight face. Straight face. I'm walking with him. We're walking down the street. He'd, spent some, he'd been addicted to drugs. He'd spent some time in jail. He was homeless. We're seeing a homeless man pushing a shopping cart. I said, hey, when you see something like that, how does that make you feel, being that that was once you? He said, one time I was pushing a shopping cart. I saw a car for, uh, with a husband in a minivan driving his kids. And he looked at me and he shook his head like, poor guy. And I looked at him and I thought, poor guy to him. He's got a cart around all these kids. I'm free out here. And I sat there and I was like, you're telling this to your son who you've abandoned. As if like, this is some respectable advice or, you know, it, it blew my mind that he could just so casually be like, hey man, it is what it is. So I'm bringing all that into my marriage, right? I don't, I already have this mindset that people will abandon you. I'm, I'm, you know, there's different attachment styles. I had an anxious attachment style. I was almost like anticipating either I'm going to leave you or you're going to leave me like some kind of way this is going to happen. And my wife is like, hey, you're a jerk right now. You are abandoning your faith. You are staying out till three o'clock in the morning with your drinking buddy. And you're, you know, chasing superstardom and not spending time with the family. You're not doing Bible studies or devotionals anymore. You are not even the man that I knew when I got married. And I am not going to abandon you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to hope. I'm going to wrestle. And, and man, I didn't know what that looked like. And then for me to come to her and say, hey, look, here's the full scoop. You didn't know I was taking these pills. Okay, you, you, didn't even, you didn't know half of these particular things. You didn't know about these conversations that I were having that psh, I shouldn't have been having them. You didn't know about any of those particular things. And now I'm telling you, right? And, uh, you know, obviously it wasn't like, the conversations that I'm having are more about what's going on in my heart than what's being said. So let me clarify that. It wasn't like I'm sitting here saying like, hey, you know what I'm saying? But my intentions were not good, right? And I'm telling her this, but she sees the brokenness, the repentive heart mindset behind it all and says, I, I'm willing to go through the fire with you. If you want to get help and you really want to be something different, I'm willing to do that. Now, you you know, you can't be a repeat offender with somebody like that. Somebody who's giving you that kind of grace, that kind of 
love, care, and compassion, you better be on your P's and Q's. You better honor the fact that they held you down at your lowest and don't disrespect them by putting them in a position where they're made to look like a fool for making a decision to ride with you when you were an idiot. You don't do that. Matter of fact, you go above and beyond to make sure she knows you that, that she is the apple of your eye and you are more than appreciative for all of it. Right. But I was getting a big head. Just being honest, I'm thinking, I'm sitting here like, man, you know, I got money now. I got more money than I've ever had. I'm a superstar. I'm a celebrity. You know, you get to looking around. You get to thinking to yourself. You got these R&B and, and models and all these different people who are telling your friends like they think you're cute and so on and so forth. And, you know, I see it. I see why these these powerful men leave the woman that they started with and go chase after somebody else because in their mind, women are just an object of adornment. They're trophy wives. I did not, I, I didn't get married for that reason. I didn't get married to have somebody adorn me like she's some shiny object or a piece of jewelry. I got married because I knew that this was an amazing woman that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And it wasn't until, shoot, I came to grips with the reality that I was, you know, in a sense, tearing my family apart by not being the man that God had called me to be that I realized the very thing I'm afraid of, abandonment and dysfunction, I'm creating. And I had to own that. Like I'm creating the very thing that I've been running from my whole life. And so my biggest fear as a, as a, as a young man was becoming like my father, a vagabond, wandering the streets, you know, addicted to drugs, in and out of jail. That was my biggest fear growing up. And you know, even after success, it was a fear that still haunted me. And then I woke up and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm on the trajectory. And the money and the fame is not a security blanket for chaos. And so my encouragement to, to, to folks who are walking the line of dysfunction and chaos is that, listen, <laughs> You can choose no. Whatever cycle has been created in your family lineage or your family structure, you don't have to follow that. Or you're just like so. No, you're not. You are your own unique self. Yeah, you, you share genetics. You may share propensities, but you can choose no. There's some cycles and systems that exist in families that people just assume are the way things must be. And this is the way it has to be because it's the way it always has been. No, it's not. You can choose no. I, I, I sit here and I talk about the issues going on in my life and I share my business. And there's people in my family who say, well, you can't be telling your business and telling family business. Why? We don't do that. I do. I do. I'm a part of this family. Because I am following what God has called me to. You know, Jesus said, you might have to hate your mother and your brother. And it's not in the sense of like, I hate you, but it's in the sense of like, listen, there's some kingdom priorities. If I'm setting people free, then I choose to set people free more than I choose to hide a bunch of dirt under the mat in order to, to look presentable to the world. No, some people need to see my scars so they know their wounds can heal. I got scars, and my scars demonstrate to other people that wounds can heal. So in my relationship, there's scars. Our marriage hasn't been perfect. It hasn't been perfect. We got scars, but they're healed. So we can look back on those scars and be appreciative 
of what God did. We have what's called stones of remembrance, right? In the Old Testament, they would leave stones to demonstrate what God had done in a particular time. We won a battle here. Put some stones there. That's a stone of remembrance. Some of the scars that we have are stones of remembrance. We, we remember what God did in 2018. I remember what God did through us in 2018. When we sat in, in therapy and counseling, we walked through stuff and we wrestled with stuff and, we, and I see what God did. Like, that's what happened. There's a stone of remembrance and you don't get there without fighting for it. It's not gonna just happen in marriage, in relationships. It's going to be a fight. God puts two people together for the purpose of sanctification. Sanctification means <laughs> pruning you. You got to go through the fire to come out like gold. So you're going to have to fight, but it's going to take two people to fight, right? I'm not sitting here praising my wife because she's just, she just endured you know, abuse and, and a negligence and all those particular things. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm praising my wife and at the same time acknowledging my own fault and accepting responsibility to become better, become different. It can't just be her enduring hell. It has to be two people willing to become who God called them to be. And it's not to say she's perfect. My job, I mean, she'll tell you herself, she didn't do everything right. She didn't handle everything right. She could have been, you know, more gracious in some particular areas or said some things differently. But we were both willing to fight to become who God called us to be collectively. It's not one person doing all this work. Now, in certain situations and circumstances, yeah. You, you've locked in, you've made a commitment before God, and you're going to have to fight through that and pray that the other person will get their head on straight. Do you trust God? Do you believe God? Now, I'm not saying you sit there and take abuse. What I am saying is, okay, your spouse, your significant other, is, is acting out a little, you know, or a lot, is, you know, being a jerk in some particular ways. Okay, for better or for worse, for sickness and, and health. Like, what are you going to do? Are you, are you going to step up to the plate and challenge them? And are you going to pray for them? Are you going to uh, advocate for counseling and therapy? You're going to get friends involved? We get friends involved. Oh, my gosh. I can't tell you how many times the couple's that I'm cool with have sat in a room together for hours processing one particular couple's struggles. We'll wrestle until the sun comes up because marriage is tough. 17 years we've been together. The first 10 were not pretty. The last seven have been better than any of the, the first 10. They've been amazing because the last seven you know, is where we decided to work on stuff, is where we decided to process things. You know, what, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, I, the last five specifically, right? That, she's my best friend now. We were not best friends when we got married. We were idealistic kids who thought, well, we love God and we love each other and everything's going to be great. You go through those stages, the stage of enchantment. That's the first stage. Everything is beautiful. I love you. I love the way you look. I love your lips. I love your, the way you dress. Everything. So, nothing is wrong with you. I love this. I love that. I love everything. Stage of enchantment, right? They can do no wrong. We were broke. I remember we were broke. We were dating. I sent my, my, my soon-to-be wife to the grocery store. I gave her the, my last $100. I said, hey, can you grab the stuff for us? She lost it somewhere. 
I was like, it's no problem, babe. God will provide. That's that's the stage of enchantment. Okay, that's the stage. Then comes disenchantment when reality hits, and you're like, why do you chew like that? Like, what's that noise you make when you blow your nose? So you stop scratching your throat. Like, what what is this thing you're doing with? Like, I'm just starting to notice all the quirks about. Why are you afraid of that? I don't know why. Why does that bother you so bad? Like, why, why do you like this show? Why do you laugh at those jokes? This, you just start noticing all the things that you dislike. You woke up. Now you're disenchanted. That's usually where a lot of couples break up, you know, especially serial monogamous people. Like, they, they just love the feeling of being in love. And they're like, I'm just not in love anymore. No, the endorphins have worn off. You're facing reality. Now, if you can get past the stage of disenchantment, you arrive in a place of contentment. Contentment is when you you realize, hey, you chew different than me and I love you because what I have is better than what I didn't have, right? You, you become content. You're like, man, there's a consistency. There's a, a, a trust here. There's a, a dependency that we've developed now. And now I'm just content, man. I'm not worried about the superficial stuff. I got somebody who if a brick slashes my face half off and and a, a, a landslide, this person is going to be in the hospital with me and I'm going to be Scarface and they're still going to be there because it's, the relationship is not based on anything superficial. It's based on a deeper things. And we are coming together to paint a picture of Christ and his church, of dependent people. And so we got past the stage of disenchantment but it took forever because we weren't working on trying to get past that stage. You know, we were, we were just constantly at war. And I think some of that is because we didn't go to counseling. If people think you go to counseling when everything's falling apart. No, counseling is like getting your oil changed, right? You don't wait till you're out of oil or the oil is terrible. You don't wait till you run out of gas to get gas. Some of y'all, that's the problem with your relationships. You're waiting until you're out of gas before you go see therapy or get help. You go when the tank is getting a little low, right? And you fill up or you get the oil changed. So it's like maintenance. And we didn't do that. We neglected that. Why do we neglect that? Because I was under the idea that as long as I follow Jesus, everything is going to... There's no integration. And that's part of the problem. I can get on a soapbox on that too. There's not a lot of integration between Bible and Jesus and the therapeutic world. There needs to be more integration. People say, oh, you don't need all that. All you need is Jesus. And then on the therapeutic world side, these doctors and these therapists are saying, well, all that stuff is charlatan where we need. No, we need to work together. We need the Christian therapists working with the, 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 the pastors and the leaders to process these particular things. But, y'all, once we fought through those storms, our marriage has never been better. Like, our arguments used to last days. Now, minutes and, and now, with the, because we know we're, I'm for you and you're for me, once we get to the other side of whatever the issue is, we're closer now. We're closer. We know the other person is not just trying to hurt us. We don't have to give them the cold shoulder. Some of y'all are, are putting up a brick wall in a cold shoulder because you're hoping to punish that person. Why do you want to punish them? You should want peace and harmony. You want to punish them because you feel like they're trying to punish you. That's not going to bring peace. That's not going to bring resolve. What's going to bring peace and resolve is for y'all to come to an understanding that, hey, I'm here for you and I want harmony and not harm. And this is, here's, a, here's, here's what God has just graced us. 
because we were taught in these these you know fundamental Christian circles that compatibility is not a thing, right? We were taught was Jesus compatible with you? Well, he still married you, didn't he? You know, um, and I will say this: I don't think that's true. Now, I'm not saying that compatibility is the essential ingredient for marriage, but I'm saying, man. You, you're going to have to have some shared interests. It's going to be very difficult and very hard if you're an outdoor person and all you want to do is be outdoors and the person you want to marry, all they want to do is be indoor, right? There's going to be a disconnect. So I, I, I do think there's some wisdom in just knowing the, the, the type of person that you're going to be in a covenant relationship with, right? Everybody's got some flaws, but whose flaws do you want to deal with for the rest of your life? That's the real question. So it's been by the grace of God that though we weren't looking for compatibility, we were just like, you love Jesus? So do I. We should get together. You know, that was basically it. I, like, I literally rolled the dice. True story. One of my mentors said, I said, I don't know who I should date. All these women love the Lord, and what do I do? He said, just choose one. Now, fortunately, I was... You know, very handsome and uh, astute young man, and I, I had that ability. Some of you fellas, you know, you might have to, you know, let your personality shine a little bit, okay? Just just telling you. But uh, listen, I just was like, all right, well, there were four girls in the ministry that I thought were attractive and loved Jesus, and I literally said this. I said, the next one that comes around the corner, I'm going to pursue. This is a true story. It was my wife now. That's why I pursued her, because she was the first one to come around that corner. That's as deep as it was, because I was under the influence of this particular Christian group. God was so gracious, though. He was so gracious. The good thing about us is it took work to find our common ground. It took work to find the thing that we enjoyed about each other. I'm a very deep well. I like to process and think deeply. She's a free spirit. Her idea of loving me was not gonna be sitting on my lap and rubbing my hair and telling me like, you're so, I just love the way you speak. That's not her style. You know what her style is? Her style is saying, hey, you wanna work on this puzzle with me? And I'm saying that ain't romantic. I don't see the romance in that, but I'm missing it because I'm not drawing out and knowing her. I'm missing her call for affection and attention. And so a lot of us will miss the other person's, you know, reaching out and trying to build intimacy with us because we are assuming that they're supposed to be wired the way we want them to be wired instead of understanding, no, they have their own unique wiring. And that's a part of the journey is learning them and, and, and molding yourself to fit that process. So that's a lot of what's had to happen is us learning each other. And now, I know her like the back of my hand. Now, I know what gets her excited. The idea of romance and like someone wooing you is really like a, 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 a newer concept. Like that's not how it was in Jesus's day, I can tell you that. I don't think it was very romantic when uh, Abraham chose Sarah or, 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 or you know, Jacob uh, chose Rachel and didn't want to choose Leah or, you know, like 
it wasn't that type of situation. And what we have to realize is that this idea, this Greco-Roman idea of romance that we have in our culture and our society is more a cultural phenomenon than it is a staple in a relationship, right? These concepts of someone putting you on a boat in Italy with someone playing music, that was fed to you through media. You don't even realize that. What you really want, if you are healthy, is someone who's there for you, who's going to sacrifice their, their time, their talents, their treasures to be by your side, who cares about your needs, your desires, who celebrates your wins, who celebrates your accomplishments and your, your overcomings, who's going to walk with you through the darkest times in your life. Man, I remember my brain didn't even freaking work. And if you know what a clinical depression is, I mean, it's like your brain doesn't work. You can't see up from down. Everything is gray. I remember being so scared I couldn't even go to Walmart because I was I, the, the, the anxiety, I was so anxiety ridden. My wife locked herself in the bedroom with me and just played Uno because that's all I could do. That's love. That's romance like none other. I'll trade that Uno game in my darkest night of the soul uh, any day over riding on a boat in Venice because that's where real life is. What do you think Jesus wanted more? Someone to, you know, have a good meal with or someone to stay awake and pray with him in his darkest hour? Hmm. Hmm. So a lot of us have to get rid of these unhealthy ideals because they're not healthy for us. We're taking these ideas from the internet and from culture. We're, we're attaching them to human beings and we're saying, if you don't fulfill this, this isn't going to work. Well, you're going to be single or disappointed for a very long time because God doesn't even put that on us. Yes, there should be some butterflies and some, some, some feelings, emotion, a desire for the other person. Absolutely. And that's going to be fleshed out in different ways. Right? Yes, that should exist. But, but the cultural standards of how that desire for another person is fleshed out can get a little crazy, y'all. I mean, yeah, you saw Offset give Cardi B 2,000 2, roses, and now that becomes a standard. Like, oh, that's love. Says who? Says who? I mean, why can't it be the fact that you came home from a long day of work and they see you stressed and tired and they sit down and they massage your feet? Why can't that be the standard? Why can't that be a picture? And again, there shouldn't be one. And you wouldn't be appreciative of the one that comes your way because all it's going to do is going to be a never-ending chase for that thing. It's a fleeting feeling. You're chasing a feeling. You're chasing something that a relationship is not supposed to be built upon. It's not supposed to be built upon this Greco-Roman idea of romance. Love is not a feeling. Love is patient. It's kind. It's, it, it, it does not consider wrongs. It's long-suffering. Love is what God says love is. Love is not what culture says love is. And so love is not a feeling. It's a sacrifice. It's a state of being. It's a choice. That's what love is. Feelings come and go. I get a feeling in my stomach when I eat pizza. But a commitment to stick it out, 
a commitment to stand by somebody, that's love. Fellas, love is not what you can do in the bedroom. Any man can satisfy a woman for a night, but a real man can satisfy a woman for a lifetime. One woman. Love is sticking it out. Shoot, love is, huh, some of y'all fellas are going to be hitting your 50s and 60s one day, and you're not going to be able to do the things that you want to do in the bedroom, and you're going to want somebody to be by your side as you go through the process of figuring out how you can be the performer you once were. That's love. You know, um, when you've experienced physical abuse, abandonment, um, violence, molestation, um, yeah, I mean, the list goes on and on uh, for me. Um, and you don't know that it's created trauma in you, you're unknowingly affecting someone else once you get involved in a relationship. And man, we've got to start getting healing before we commit to people. If, if I could go back in time, I would have told myself, go to therapy before you get married. Right? I didn't believe in it. I didn't know it was a thing I needed. Why? Because I was functioning just fine. Sometimes we can function in our dysfunction. Right? It's like old factory fatigue. Like You spend enough time in a garbage dump, you won't smell it anymore. It's just like your, 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 your senses become desensitized. And you get so used to your dysfunction, you don't see it as dysfunction. And so I didn't, I couldn't see my own dysfunction. I couldn't see the way the trauma had affected me. And I will say this, oftentimes we think that because we've come to Jesus, that miraculously all our problems are healed. All our issues are gone away. All our trauma is done for. No. You have access to the healer. You have access to the shepherd who will guide you to where you can receive the healing. But you've got to still do that work. And so me marrying my wife, I, man, again, I praise God for her because she came up in a structured, secure environment, had both families, nothing broken, only child, suburban, I mean, after some time in the hood, then the suburbs, like she had a secure environment, which is why I believe God has blessed me because she was able to withstand a lot of the mess that I brought. Because for her, she's like, I'm stable. I'm secure. I'm not I don't need to run out when times get hard. I need to process information. You know, I'm not perfect, but I, I don't have all these issues that you have. And so for me, I'm growing up and I see when I see conflict in the house, it generally ends in violence, something being broken or somebody going to jail. That's what I saw growing up. So, you know, for me, None of those issues were wrestled with. For me, she's having to deal with my extreme um, responses to fear, right? Like, I am a stickler 
a stickler for family dinner. Not because I get good time with my family and I, and I get good time with my kids. I mean, on the surface, sure, that's what it's for. But deep down inside, it's because I'm afraid if I don't do this, we're going to be a dysfunctional family and they'll feel abandoned like I did. That's the reality. I'm, I'm functioning out of fear. And so she has to deal with that and process and wrestle with all those particular things. It was hard, right? Initially, it was hard because I was dogmatic and I was self-righteous. This is the way it must be done. Because I didn't grow up with structure. I didn't grow up with foundation. I had to get it out the mud. I had to do it on my own. And I am the solution. And I must do things the right way in order for it to work. And so I just follow the book. We get in an argument. I could say to her, you know, God desires for us to be harmonious and not argue. And your tone is not going to get us anywhere. Do you, do you think that helped? Anything? Absolutely not. It, lit a, it put more fuel on the fire. I wasn't empathetic. I wasn't trying to hear her perspective. I was just being self-righteous. This is the way the Bible says it must be done, so this is the way it should be done. And that can only last for so long. Legalists are generally the people who end up uh, going off the deep end because they can't even keep their own standards. The standards become too hard for them to keep. They're the dangerous ones. People who have grace and who operate in grace and understand that God is giving them, you know, uh, freedom and grace, they don't see it as a license to, do, to go crazy. But legalists are like, it's so hard to maintain this that one day I'm going to snap. Or I've got to hide it because everyone thinks I'm this way on the outside and not this way. That's why I just want to live free now. That's why I want people to just know, hey, these are the wounds that I've got. Hey, these are the struggles that I've gone through. So that way, listen, when you meet me, you know. There's no airs being put on here. It's only the realness. So in our marriage, um, you know, I had to stop being a legalist. And the way I stopped being a legalist was I couldn't keep my standard. And when I broke, when I became the epitome of everything that I was trying not to be, I was crushed because I, I didn't live up to my own standard. And I believed the lie that God was crushed, that God was so disappointed in me that he was going to write me off. I thought God was going to do to me what my dad did. I worked so hard to get my father's approval. I'm going to make something out of myself. He didn't come back. He didn't say, oh, son, I should have never abandoned you. I'm back now. He didn't do any of that stuff. I worked so hard to get my father's approval. I won all these awards. But deep down inside, I was just trying to do that to demonstrate to my dad and to myself that I was valuable. And I believed the lie that God would see me as invaluable because of my sin, which is not the case. So I was in a dark place, and my wife was like, hey, you're still valuable. We still love you. You still love me? Yes. I don't understand this. Yeah. Because you're, you're the older son in the prodigal story. You don't understand because you did everything right, and you don't understand how someone could love this prodigal who ran off. I was both sons at one time. I'm the older brother. I did everything right, and I do this, and I do this. And then I'm the prodigal, and I ran off and, and did everything wrong. But my mindset wasn't like, thank you, God, for embracing me. Thank you, babe, for embracing me. And my mindset was like, still the older son. Like, no, you cannot be embraced. You have fallen. It's a lie. 
That's exactly what Satan wants us to believe. You're always going to be in a dysfunctional relationship if you don't deal with your trauma. Always. You're going to either be in a dysfunctional relationship, you're going to be attracted to dysfunctional people, or you're going to jump from relationship to relationship because you can't, you don't understand the process of what healing looks like. Um, when you go through the process of being healed as a person, then you can endure the process of of healing in a relationship, of walking toward a better place in a relationship. Relationships are meant to grow you. It's meant to, to bring forth healing and sanctification. That's the goal, is to make you a better version of yourself. If you haven't done that on your own, you're going to struggle doing that with another person. You're going to struggle. So if you don't do the work on your own, you're, you're not going to do it in a relationship. And if you do do it, you're going to do it for them and not for you. And that's going to be a problem. Because now that's a codependency in, the, in a bad way. Now they're the idol that you're trying to earn the love and, and respect of instead of a person that you want to walk alongside and you want to be better, you know, uh, with and toward. But you got to want that for you, right? A lot of relationships are about sweeping your side of the street. You can't always fix that other person. You've got to fix yourself. You know, when, 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 when Dara, my wife Dara, when we get into arguments or when we have issues, I don't point out her flaws. You know what I do? I apologize for the things I did wrong. It's not my job to sit there and say, now you apologize for what you did. No. I'm going to clean my side of the street. That's what I'm going to do. Hey, I'm going to own what I did wrong because that's what's going to bring peace in the situation. What do I gain? What do I gain from wanting to force her into a position of submission to admit that she was wrong. What do I gain but pride? Right? Now, if she freely offers that to me, that's going to endear me toward her. Right? If she freely says, man, I want to apologize for what I did, that's amazing. But I, it's not my job to force that out of her. That doesn't make it better. That's not sincere. So, so in our our relationship and our disagreements, you know, now we're, we're two people who've gone through a lot of healing. We're not two people who are unhealed and don't even know how to deal with conflict. We welcome conflict because we know it brings clarity and healing, but, but, but healthy conflict, right? If you don't deal with your own junk, is gonna come back to haunt you. You can't just, you can't just stuff everything that's going on in your life in a closet and hope that it, it'll just go away. No, the closet's still there. When you open it, it's all gonna fall out. Eventually, it's gonna fall out. The more intimate the relationship gets, that stuff's gonna fall out. It's gonna affect that person. You cannot pretend like you don't have a life-threatening disease. It will eventually kill you. You either get healed or you die. You gotta make that decision. So get healed. You do the person no good if you're walking around with an infection that's creating problems. You're not going to be effective in that relationship. Yeah, it's just life. It's things I, I've never really, you know, there's not enough room in a four-minute song to unpack all these. You'll get some parables. You'll get some proverbs, but you're not going to get the full. What's behind those songs is this. Right? When you hear the song about my relationship with my wife, what's behind it is all of this. 
you, you, it's just too hard to unpack all of that in four minutes and make it something you want to bob your head to, right? So, you know, it's, it's years of working through things. It's years of, of trial and error. It's years of, of dealing with trauma and coming out on the other side better. You know, I've spent a lot of money on therapy and, I, and I'm okay with that. You know, because I see a lot of celebrities, a lot of uh, uh, people who have money, and we spend it on things to demonstrate uh, that we're wealthy, right? We have symbols of our wealth everywhere. I got to buy this. I got to buy that so that you know I'm doing well. It's almost as if they're symbols of health because we believe that wealth is health a lot of times in our society. But the reality is I believe in sanity over vanity. If I can spend money on an expensive pair of shoes, I can spend that money on some therapy to become a better person. Sanity over vanity every day, all day. So for me, it's been spending a lot of money on therapy and, and time invested in becoming a better version of who God created me to be. Am I perfect? No. Do I still have issues? Of course. Am I still working through stuff every day because there's new dynamics that are gonna happen every day, right? I've never been 50 before. I'm going to turn 50 one day, and I'm going to have to figure out what it means to navigate that space. So there will always be new dynamics. I've never been a parent of a teenager until I had teenagers. I never dealt with a teenager who was going through puberty until I did. So there's new dynamics I'm constantly having to learn. And, you know, you, you, you got to be a lifelong learner with this thing.